I'd love to start with kind of just you defining like what does having a sense of self-worth mean? Honestly, I was thinking about it. I think it's about permission. Because a lot of times I realize the ceiling of our potential in real life, in the corporate world, or in personal life, is how much do you allow yourself to try. It's about courage. It's about belief. It's pure belief. Hi everyone, welcome to the Permission to Become podcast. This is a podcast about Asian American women exploring their boundaries and permissions around self-discovery and personal empowerment. In this podcast, we will dive into the untold tales of Asian American women breaking out of who they should be and becoming who they truly are. My name is Joyce Bao and I'm your host on this podcast. Today, I'm super excited to introduce our guest on the podcast, Elena Chen. So Elena is a lead product manager right now at Google. And um, outside of work, she's actually passionate about sharing her learnings, not only about the PM leadership, but also to empower other people. Um, she is an ICF certified leadership coach and a YouTuber. So prior to joining Google, she was an investment banker and um, she recently had an MBA from Stanford, um, as well as a master in education. So welcome, Elena. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, so let's get started with just, um, I'd love for you to share um, with the audience a little bit about who you are and what is something that you're uh, excited about. Yeah, I am, um, I would say, if you really know me, you would know that I'm very interested in problem solving. And that's probably why I'm a PM now, because my job is to problem solve for stakeholders. And I'm also a very empathetic person. I love listening. That's one of the superpowers, I, uh, I would say, for, for me. I don't have a lot of superpower, but this is one of them. And that makes me a really good coach. People feel heard when talking to me, either as a coachee or just as a friend. Yeah, I love your intro. I, I kind of did the, um, you know, the resume intro of who you are to paint that picture. And I just <laughs> love your intro of you actually describing um, the inside and sharing that with the audience. So um, it's just fascinating, um, you know, how we think about who we are and how we share that with the, um, the outside world. So I love for you to, you know, I always kind of start with the, the guest from their childhood and just their upbringing, because, you know, this podcast is really about the permission to become and step into the truth of who you are. And I think so much of the becoming journey is understanding our past and understanding the journeys that brought us to where we're at, where we're at right now. So love to, for you to share with the audience, like a little bit about your upbringing and how that shaped your own becoming journey. Love to share. But first of all, the becoming remind me of Michelle Obama's book so much. Every time you say it, I just automatically think about her childhood story. 
And I, I think that's really important for anybody to really get to know each other very well. And I'd love to share my, my story. My story is kind of a typical Chinese kids growing up in China in a first in a third tier city, which is huge. We have millions of people in a third tier city. And then when I was 10, my family moved to another city, which is about two hour flight. Um, on the uh, sort of the east coast of China, from the center of, of China. And it's more affluent. Um, education is better. So I went there at age 10 and rebuilt my own support system and, and friend circle from, from scratch. It was not too hard at the time because it was very similar culture backgrounds people that are speaking the same language. Obviously we have dialect in a different city, but it was not too hard for me at the time. I haven't even run into any sort of identity or cultural shock in that transition. Was the first time that I realized that, okay, there are people with very different background from me was when I went to college from mainland China to Hong Kong. I was 18 years old. I, it was actually the first time I went to Hong Kong when I do my first year. I never did any college tour. And I was so shocked. The city was so different. People are speaking completely different languages. I don't understand what they're talking about. And at one point, I feel I'm judged by what the language I speak. People are not too friendly to me if I speak Mandarin. At one point, I was actually speaking English because I felt people would treat me better. Obviously, I was desperately learning Cantonese <laughs> as well, just to, to fit in, right? So it was a story of fitting in for, I would say I felt, I spent, it took me three years to really fit in. It was very difficult because of the, the language barrier, um, the cultural difference. And also I was in the process of, going through the college life, you're trying to transition from a very academic heavy life that focus on studying all the day to really looking for a job, right? That you can make a living on, that you try to find your place in, in a society. So it was a lot of transition happening at the same time. And it was not easy for me. When I started my job, I, I was like everybody else. I was like, oh, what's the most shiny job <laughs> that I can get as a fresh graduate? And the because I was studying econ and finance. So the answer was investment banking. And I was lucky and I got an internship at Credit Suisse. I finished my internship. I got a return offer. And it was a very easy decision. Okay, I took the offer and I joined as a first year investment banking analyst who would spend 80 to 100 hours in the office every week crunching numbers, doing PowerPoints, and hopefully make sure your work quality is good and you deliver on time. So that was a very rewarding, but also very intense learning period for me. After two years in banking, I was, my learning curve plateau. I wasn't sure why I'm still spending all the time doing something that doesn't really give me fulfillment and meaning. 
I got fulfillment initially through just learning and getting better in my craft. And after that learning period ends, I felt very empty inside. I don't know what I was doing there. I was promoted. You know, I was, I was doing fine, judging by the external factors. Right? I was getting paid really well. Uh, people look upon, uh, really look up upon me. And I, uh, I was promoted. There was a clear path in, uh, in front of me as an investment banking associate, right? And I can, okay, I'll get to the vice president. I'll get to director. Maybe one day I become an MD, you know? It was very clear. And I just felt not motivated at all by work. I wasn't sure what I was doing. So I started to do some soul searching. It was actually the first time ever in my life that I started soul searching as a very typical Chinese kid. <laughs> I want to actually pause here a bit because, you know, I find it so interesting because you started um, sharing your story saying, you know, you had a typical childhood, or you, um, you know, typical Chinese upbringing. And now you're, you're mentioning that again. I'm like, what does that actually mean? It means that you're living um, up to the expectations other people set for you when you first started it as an infant, right? You have parents, grandparents, family members giving you expectations that you should be good at studying, you should obey, you should respect the elderly, you should be a good girl. And that probably lasts until when you're 18 years old and you go to college, you are receiving different sets of expectations from society, from your, your classmates, the teachers, from recruiter, you know? And, and we never ask, what do we want? We will ask, we will always, we will always judging ourselves by external criteria about whether you're good, are you good enough? And the answer was always, no, you're not. You're not good enough. Whether it's from your family, from your teacher, from your classmates, you were always never adequate. And that was what I call a typical Chinese upbringing. So would you say your, all your peers, people around you kind of um, all experience a very similar um, just cultural um, dynamic, right? Of that, like you are not enough message <laughs> kind of and broadcasted. It's, it's not, it's not good or bad. It's not that people telling you that you have areas for improvement is bad. It's good, but just it's overwhelming. And that's the only message you hear. There's no room for recognition. There's no room for confidence building and recognizing you have your own need or just admitting that you're you're perfectly imperfect and, and that's a very different mindset mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it can definitely relate to some of that especially you know growing here growing up here in Asian American community that message continued to get carried over the seas <laughs> from um, the parents so it's interesting that, you know, you realized you had all this paper success, right? Like um, going to a great school, landing these prestigious job, getting a high paid 
you know, uh, position and then you weren't happy, you weren't fulfilled, like what actually, or how did you kind of go on this soul searching journey? Like, what does that mean? So the feeling I had at the time was lost. When I feel lost, I tried to look for answers. So I first went to my friends and maybe some mentors as well, who were also in finance, who were also in Hong Kong. And I didn't get an answer from them because they're equally confused. I know that a lot of people are not happy with their job, but they give me answers like, oh, I have a family, so I have to keep up with making money. If I talk to my other friends, they were like, okay, I am so afraid of the pay cuts. So everyone is talking about the same thing and no one has the answer. And then secondly, I went to Google. <laughs> and then my journey with Google started there. I went on to Google search and I started typing. I don't remember exactly what I typed, maybe like life searching journey, something like that. Meaning of life. I was just randomly typing and something popped up which was serendipitous. It was a life coaching workshop in London the next weekend. I was in Hong Kong. I was in Hong Kong. I was like, oh my God, this is so mind-blowing. Obviously, there probably are some workshops in Hong Kong, but I just have no idea it actually exists in Asia. It does, but it was very, uh, very um, popular uh, at the time. It getting more and more popular, which is I'm very happy about at the time it was a workshop in London and I started reading the organizer of the workshop who was a British woman that got cancer many years ago and she became a coach after her cancer uh, was treated she suddenly changed after this life-defining moment uh, because of the illness she had and I was just like very fascinated by her journey because it was very different from what I heard from everybody else, from my friends, my mentors. So I decided to fly to London. Luckily, I got a business trip at the time too. So it was like, like it's, yeah, exactly. It's by design. I have to go. So I went, I remember the workshop was just right next to the airport. I'm sure a lot of people fly in. <laughs> There's a sound. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll repeat it. So I remember the workshop was hosted in next to the airport in London. A lot of people probably fly in just to attend the workshop and then bounce. It was just a weekend. It was very short, but it was very fulfilling. I went there, talked to her. She gave me a lot of good advice and I was hooked. I decided to learn coaching. I decided to become a coach myself. I started coaching other people. Initially, it was very embarrassing because I was talking about something that people haven't heard about or people are not sure what I was doing. They saw it's just a conversation. And then I start bothering my friends hey can I coach you can I coach you and people was like oh my god what is this and over time people get um really fascinated by it as well now I have a lot of friends who ask me can I learn coaching from you can I learn your journey can I become a coach too what school did you go to how did you study it how did you find uh your niche right so there's a lot of good questions that come later mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so 
it's interesting that how like one weekend can kind of open up the path to new possibilities and sounds like that was the catalyst that prompted you to explore this path of coaching I'm really curious like you know as we're wayfinding and figuring out you know who we are what's important to us um and going on this journey of exploration like I'm I'm just really curious like what were some of the challenges that you faced um as you were making your decisions and redefining who you are or who you thought you were the answer was not obvious it was very difficult to find what we call ikigai, you know, just a mix of your strengths, your interest, what the society needs, and what gives you meaning. Four things needs to align at the same time so that it actually works. So sometimes you find that, okay, I checked two out of the four boxes, but not the three and four. You, you can't make money from something that you're passionate about too bad. And it just took me a really long time to really figure out what's for me and my family. And it turns out not a a straight answer. It's not, okay, if you become a product manager and problem solved, right? It's actually a whole set of engagement, which covers your full-time job, your hobby, your support system, who you want to surround yourself by, and that's the a very iterative, it's like product development. It's a very iterative process to test how you interact with the world and whether you fit in and whether you can do well. I'm curious if you can, yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack there, right? Because I think that following this Ikigai, which I don't know if all the listeners know, is like this intersection of four areas that leads to, I guess, what they call your purpose. And um it's it's a lot of answers, a lot of self-inquiry. I'm really curious if you can just share with the audience kind of how you journey through that. Cause you know, it sounded like it was straightforward answer, right? It's like one week miracle weekend, you knew you wanted to do coaching kind of, um, then went on to become a coach. And I knew, I'm like, I knew there's something more deeper there. And I wanted to, I kind of wanted to open up that, um, so that others who might be, um, you know, just at that cusp of, questioning right what else is out there besides what I'm doing every single day can maybe feel inspired by your story and what you did yeah I can uh, give you a very quick sort of overview of the journey it's definitely not linear so I started out knowing okay coaching is so cool and then it turns out it's not gonna it's not gonna give you the same level of financial reward as finance jobs right and that was like the first surprise sorry you can't do this for a living yet so I was like what next right and then I explore so is there anything bigger than coaching is there anything more scalable and impactful that you might be able to do as a full-time job I went into education Mm. I open up sort of this door of exploring in the education world obviously it's a huge space and I wasn't trained in the education field but I was very curious about what I can do there right I started with testing with some side projects or part-time jobs I was applying for MBA at the time just to give me another option I first went to a school a primary school 
uh, that aspires to disrupt Chinese education, which resonated a lot with me because I was doing soul searching as well. And I realized this is lacking yeah. in our education system. There's no space for soul searching in Chinese education system. No, not at all. Not at all. You will be discouraged heavily by your parents and teachers if you do that instead of doing your homework. So I went to the school and I realized it's so cool. I really like it. But there's always a but. But I don't like, or at least at that time, I don't find myself fit into a traditional school operation team yet. I wasn't passionate about five or seven years old kids. I don't know how to teach them. (laughs) It was very difficult. It was very difficult. And if I focus on operation and strategy side, there wasn't a lot for me to learn and develop my craft as a professional at the time. So I know it's not for me at that moment. And then I moved to Beijing after I got my MBA offer to help out a few startups because I know that maybe startups is the way to go. So I worked at the ed tech, education technology startup, which is the largest at the time Chinese uh, mass learning platform. I was the chief of staff and that experience was extremely rewarding for me because I was able to discover what operating role I wanted to get into and also open up the future stories of getting into product management because I I realized product management was what really fascinated me as much as coaching, as much as coaching. It was very... um, it was a very good fit for my skill set because I'm very logical and creative at the same time. And sometimes I feel very confused by my duality. And this role was very similar <laughs> in nature. And that what fascinates me, plus all the leadership and um, you know strategic angle of the role uh, also shows a lot of possibilities for me. If I stay on this path, who I can potentially become. It could be a founder, it could be uh, a senior management uh, or exact level. Uh, you can break into basically anything uh, at a leadership level in the future. And that is what fascinates me at the time. And I know that, okay, I want to do product management. At the time I was in China, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't aware how competitive this path is if you don't have a traditional product background. That's something I learned later. And I realized when I got here (laughs) and start applying for the first internship, and it took me forever (laughs) to, to find one as an immigrant, as an immigrant, it was surprisingly stressful. We can't get into that later, but for the soul searching part, I just went through all these different full-time, part-time, internship capacities. I almost did, I felt at least five to six different part-time jobs before I landed on full-time product management and doing coaching on the side. Yeah, well, I'm curious, like, so you gave yourself the permission to actually go and explore, right? And to try these different things. I'm curious, was it hard for you to leave a position that was 
secure, you know, path, right? And you had a secure job, secure, secure um, uh, salary, all of that, right? Like, how how was that process, uh, you know, for you as you went into that world of unknown and try all these different things, and you didn't really know where you were going to end up, right? Before figuring out product management was the 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 right fit for you. I'm curious kind of how you navigated that process. I always feel I'm like everybody else. I need security every day. I was very secure in finance and I wasn't ready to just quit and then do soul searching with no income. So what I did was I applied for MBA like a lot of people. <laughs> I was never a hero. <laughs> I was just, oh my God, what I'm going to do here? Let me apply for MBA and hopefully I'll be able to have this, you know, safety net. And that's how I solve my insecurity. And I'm sure a lot of people have different ways to solve for it. But for me, having a safety net was important at the time. Yeah. I mean, I love that kind of your angle and your perspective of, of the story. And I think that may play to um, a lot of the, the psyches or just the journey of immigrants as well um, coming to the US. And it's a trade-off between, I find this actually super fascinating, right? Like on one hand, it's we're moving towards like liberation and freedom and doing what we want to do and what we feel passionate about. And then there's on the other side, kind of the tug and pull of like, um, having a safety net, having a sense of security, and both are important, but it's, it's, it's about striking that balance. Well, I'm curious actually just how, how, how are you, how you think about that, those two elements? Absolutely. This is a common struggle for everyone. And I feel I, I experienced it way earlier in my life because I have very, as I said earlier, I had duality and personality. On one side, I am very logical on the other side and rational on the other side. I was very empathetic and creative. I always know there's two, there's some tension inside that I have to deal with. So I learned this skill of balancing inside myself whichever two forces you are experiencing, but there is always this tension. And later on, I realized it's a gift. It's not a struggle. I should not use struggle to label the feeling. It's actually a gift. The reason why it's a gift is because you have more tools in your toolbox than many other people. You have this ambition of challenging yourself, achieving more, but at the same time, also you have this mechanism to keep yourself safe, right? Isn't that pretty? You have both sides of the best world, you know? <laughs> uh, if you don't have either one, you will either be not safe pursuing something that's crazy that would not be very responsible, both financially and in many other ways. And if you don't have that ambition that you only care about safety, like a lot of my friends, <laughs> you just stay on the same path and you never really look outside um, at other possibilities, right? So I, I, I learned that it's a gift. So that's like a mindset re, re, reframing that was extremely helpful for me to recognize. Yeah, I, and, I, and I love that because, you know, I do think that 
whether we acknowledge it or not, we are humans of contrast. Like we're always living in the polarities, right? It's like the yin and the yang. And even if you look at the symbol, it's like there's a there's the yin in, in the yang, right? And so, you know, I think what I'm interested in kind of understanding is like at, at times, like people can be held back, right? By this, um, the contrast opposed, opposing each other. And I love how you said, you know, you let go of that resistance, right? Because it's like, we can be at war with each other, like white knuckling through this tension. Um, and that can lead to inaction and people are not happy, right? So in your experience, like how do you, like what is actually your process of like striking that balance? How do you actually build it in a way where you feel like, you know, you're comfortable um, exploring both sides? I don't think there is a process. It's, it's a very inner feeling driven decision-making framework, at least for myself. I know some people are feeling-based decision-maker and some are really thinking-based. I'm definitely like feeling, I'm INFJ. Okay, I was going to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> I am INFJ. I'm borderline I. I'm between E and I. I'm, I'm very close to E. I'm very N. I'm very F. And I'm very J. <laughs> but it shifts us every year. But I know I'm feeling driven all the time. It hasn't changed over the past three. Actually, oh my God. It has been a long time since I took MPTI. It has been five, seven years at least. I can't remember. Um, so I, I, I know when it's ready, when I feel right. And a lot of times I made decisions against my feeling and it was wrong and <laughs> turned out at least I, I regretted it or it wasn't working. And there are times where I make decisions based on feelings and it was, it was helpful. Obviously uh, there's false positive <laughs> all the time, but it was a very good way for me to know when to pull the trigger. If I, for example, I would know that if I feel bored, it's time to make the move. I know something is wrong and, and I love to listen to my inner voice. They're very authentic. It's on masks. Sometimes my thinking was very, is manipulated by my false belief about myself, about the world. My feeling was always true. I can't, I can change it. When I feel happy, I am happy. When I don't, I can't fake happiness. And I found that's a very important signal. I love to dive into the creative side because the season is on the permission to become the creator of your life. And that's something that really, you know, I felt called, especially you know, what happened in the last two years and just really kind of coming into agency and like really step into the role to like reclaim our personal power and, um, and, and really step into the role of, of creating. So I'm curious, first question is really, what does being a creator mean to you? I actually never thought about it. Maybe I'm already doing it unconsciously. I, I don't, have a need to create around my life. I feel I'm living the life. I am loving it. I am being present. I'm not trying to change it. I'm not trying to 
come up with something that doesn't exist. And creator doesn't describe me exactly. If I were to use a different phrase, I, I, I really anchor on being. Yeah, it's not about a verb. <laughs> it's, it's being as a verb. Um, but it's more like a, a state. Because you, we're always on the go. We're always, okay, where are you going, right? What are you doing? But no one asks, what are you being? Are you, are you being okay? Are you enjoying what you are doing? The reason why I'm saying is because we always have a need to produce, to achieve, to show results, to hit OKRs, to level up. <laughs> and 2022 for me is a year of potentially slowing down, uh, a year of going back to my true self. I always wanted to be more and more authentic, but it's a very long journey. As I said earlier, I started when I was, oh my God, that was seven years ago. <laughs> I started when I was in finance and the journey continues. I see the progress. I know I'm on the right track, but it's a very long journey for me. And maybe that's what my definition of creator of life is just to create an authentic version that is true to me. Yeah, I love that. I really, really love that. And I think that, yeah, and I, and I love how you are not honing in on the verb, right? But rather this state of being, because, you know, I think that as I'm exploring this theme, this season myself with different creators, um, you know, I think everybody is a creator. Life is create, being creative, like living is being creative. Um, but there's a difference between trying to create for the sake of creating versus creating because you're in alignment and in um, authentic ex expression of who you are. And I think that's, you know, what I wanted to, you know, understand like, you know, you as a creator, like, how do you find that flow? Because you do create um, outside of work as well, right? With your YouTube content and YouTube videos. And I think they're really, really creative, uh, fun, engaging. So like, how do you find that flow and how do you stay true to your work? I believe that everyone is naturally curious and imaginative and creative. I read this book, by Tom Kelly about creative confidence. It really shaped my belief in creativity because I was in finance at the time. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, like my job is not very creative. I don't think I'm creative. But that book reminded me of the time when I was three years old or five years old that I started drawing. I was doing a lot of different handcraft and it was fun and I was pretty good at it as a as a kid and I kind of lost it when I went to middle schools and I have no time doing it I forgot I was capable of being creative so I was uncovering my inner ability that already I was born with and right now 
whenever I feel I lost my creative juice, either because I have a very stressful day, I'm very busy, and I realize it's because I haven't recharged myself. I need to bring myself to a fuller state, either having good food, having good sleep, just take care of yourself. Whenever we take care of ourselves, you could give yourself possibly half a day off, right? Go hiking and just rest. Then you will be creative immediately after you get recharged. That's why they say like the best ideas come in the shower, right? Because you're so relaxed and that like, as you let the water spring through you, it's like ideas come in because it's always there waiting for us. Yeah, it's almost like sports. When you hold on to the ball or a position very tightly, you lost the game. You can't do it very well. But if whenever you're in the flow and you let go, right, it's kind of like being creative. If you try to be creative, <laughs> then you won't be creative. Whenever you hold, whenever you step back, whenever you just relax and be who you are, then you are authentic. You are very, I don't know, like open-minded. And then you, are, you will create ideas automatically. I, I say it to everyone I work with, my engineers, my business teams, right? Whenever I create this environment that everyone can relax and just have fun, everyone becomes creative immediately. And that was proven. Yeah, it's having the sense of, safety and comfort coming back to safety I feel like we're kind of going back and forth between the safety and then the you know the letting go and that's there's this beautiful dance here that I'm feeling um but when we feel safe and comforted it's like then we can go out and really authentically express who we are exactly and one thing I wanted to add is don't judge whatever you create and that's the necessary feedback that you have to design to stay creative I had a time period when whenever I was writing something either it's a blog or just diary I was judging myself so harshly I was like oh this is not good enough why there's so many typos why you're writing in Chinese you should write in English it was it was so funny whenever I had those inner thoughts and that destroyed creativity (laughs) Similarly, when you are working with other people, whenever they had ideas, it's their expression of themselves. Don't judge it. Don't discourage them. Just let it be. It's okay to just let it be. And then people would have more and more ideas and they would uh, bring sort of better outcome to the conversation. <laughs> when you said let it be, I'm like thinking of that. Was it the Beatles song? Like, let it be. Let it yeah, be. absolutely. Well, I think that's a great segue to, um, I think something that you wanted to share with the audience, which is your secret to building self-worth. I think many of us, you know, can really, it's something that I definitely have struggled with. Um, even like a few years back, I'm still, I'm still working on that. Um, and, you know, I think in, in, in the corporate world, it's like people talk about imposter syndrome, but it all ties down to a sense of self-worth. So I'd love to start with kind of just you defining like what does having a sense of self-worth mean? It means permission 
to become. <laughs> Honestly, I was thinking about it. I think it's about permission, because a lot of times I realize the ceiling of our potential in real life, in the corporate world, or in personal life, is how much do you allow yourself to try. It's about courage. It's about belief. It's pure belief. Sometimes, I can give you a very embarrassing but very true story of of me when I was five years old. I was in grade one. I was doing okay. I was like a normal kid, like everybody else. And then my my dad one day went to my teacher behind my back and asked my teacher, "Can you give Elena a little title? Either she is like the, I don't know, like." I don't even know how to translate it, but she just can you ask her to collect homework of her, t- her, her, her teams. We we are in teams, right? And there's one person that is supposed to be the lead leader to ch- to collect homework. And that was that was like what a what a you know an errand that people do, but it means a lot to a five year old, right? You, it means that you have the permission to lead. <laughs> And that fundamentally changed how I see myself. And maybe everyone just needs some nudging, or some ways to really encourage yourself to believe in in you, your inner child, in your in your potential. And it's a self fulfilling prophecy. Oftentimes, you have to believe. Whenever you believe, you behave as if you are. The future leader, and then other people will follow you, and then that's resting your. I love the story you shared. First of all, because I think that it's just one one thing. At the time, you weren't aware of it, but that that um, one change changed your belief in yourself and and your ability to take on the the responsibilities. And I think that you know, I I love the title like permission to become, and that came literally to me because I think we're always becoming, but it's the permission that is the most challenging part, especially my journey of just running into so many walls and not really understanding why I wasn't giving myself the permission until I realized that like yeah, it's about me really coming into acknowledging this authentic being that's here and loving her and loving you know what she. Wants to do, um, so I really love what you shared, and I'm curious, you know, for listen listeners who are tuning into this podcast, like, what are some practical tips you have for them to start building their self worth? I listened to Oprah Winfrey's sharing at GSB Stanford GSB once, and one thing that stood out that really changed. How I think about this topic is, she said that after interviewing three thousand people over twenty five years, one thing that everybody shared in common was everyone needs validation. It doesn't matter whether that's the president, or is it a criminal, is it a kid, or is it an elderly. Everyone wants validation. So I accept the fact that. When you're building your self worth, you need validation externally first.、Right? So step number one is always surround yourself with people that believe in you, that people would recognize you, that people actually 
see you, see your potential. So that's step number one, right? So if you wanted to try something new, that's the hardest moment because you know nothing. <laughs> you, your, your skills are not great. Um, you don't know a lot of people in a specific area. Like when I was thinking about breaking into tech, I, I don't know tech at all. I don't know how to code. I don't know how to build products. I don't even know what language they speak. And I surround people, I surround myself with people that believe I can do it first. And I try to get a little bit of recognition externally to really give me the confidence to keep going. And then I know I can't rely on that small dose for a very long time. You have to dig deeper. You have to find the ultimate purpose and reason that can fuel your journey for the long run, right? And, and that's step number two is just find your why. Why do you want to do something that seems really hard and it seems very important to you because you have been keeping trying different angles and are trying to find your way in, right? There must be a reason. And then the next step is just to find your why and how your why relates to your true self. It can be as simple. It's not, you don't have to find your why, which is like, oh, I don't want to save the world. It's, it's not always like that. Some people have grand dreams, but, 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 but a lot of like grand dreams, but a lot of people don't and that's okay. And your, your, your why could be, I want to become a PM because I want to be a CEO <laughs> or I want to become PM because I have a family I need to feed. I can't do operations because it pay too little. <laughs> I, 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 I think it's totally fine to just accept whatever why that you have and just embrace it and just accept it. It's okay to give permission to, 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 to accept your why. And then after you accept your why, the step number three is always live your why. If your why is I wanted to say, I want to build a community like what you're doing right now, and then if your job is not giving you a lot of opportunity to embrace a community, you can do small things like, hey, say hi to a stranger when you're walking on the street because you're building a community by just saying hi, right? And thank others, call a friend that you lost in touch for, for a while. Those are small actions that will slowly strengthen your purpose, your why, your values. Because a lot of times we're, we're very tied up with the tactical things that you have to, and tasks that you have to deliver day to day and you forget to live your why. And then after you forget it for too long, then your why goes away. <laughs> you can bring the, them back, but it's gonna take a little bit of time. So why is this, what I call elephant? It's very, very powerful, but it just moves very slowly. After you have your elephant, that's great because it's very powerful that can feel you. But if your elephant is gone, you have to look for it and slowly bring it back. It takes a while, right? And that's how I see that would ultimately give you the self-worth is to find your elephant. I, I love how you reframe the external validation because there's 
this line of thought where it's like, you know, you don't need external validation in order to prove yourself you're good enough, right? And I kind of love that. It's like taking taking the vices in, in its own small dose in order to kickstart um, that journey because we're all human and we inherently live inter- interdependently and need other people's feedback because uh, they're mirrors. So I really, really love that. Um, and I'm curious, what is your why? <laughs> What is my why? My why ultimately comes down to people empowerment. I really care about helping other people realize their potentials because I got a lot of great help from people in different parts of the world that helped me realize my potential. And there are still people helping me realizing my potential every day. And I really wanted to pass the torch to more people because that's fundamental to human beings we wanted to have hope we wanted to become better versions of ourselves we wanted to make a positive impact and I'm just benefiting so much from other people who have this why and I wanted to really give back I wanted to make a positive impact on on other on others that I can reach at different time points it doesn't need to be a lot of people I don't need to even though I do build products for billions of people (laughs) I don't have to I don't have to impact a hundred people a thousand people one person is good enough Mm, yeah that's so beautiful and that's a great kind of wrap to our conversation um it's just been you've been just sharing so much of your your own truth and your story and also sharing your vulnerability with the community here. So I really appreciate you for sharing that and also giving them these practical tips to start on their journey of personal empowerment. So where can the listeners find you? How can they reach you or learn more about you? Absolutely. If you wanted to know what else I've talked about, you can visit my YouTube channel. You know, we can probably drop a link. Uh, under the podcast and if you want to reach me feel free to add me on LinkedIn and just mention that you listen to this podcast and love to get connected oh thank you so much Elena for coming on this podcast thanks so much for interviewing me thank you so much for listening to the permission to become podcast if you like what you've heard, don't forget to rate, review, or subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. I'd really appreciate it. I'd also love to hear any feedback you have, so feel free to email me at permission to become at gmail.com.